Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch. I am a real estate investor and broker at a brokerage called Rare Real Estate, which is headquartered in Toronto. And I'm one half of the hosts on this show. I'm the other half. My name is Nick Hill, mortgage agent, partner at Land Bank, which is a commercial debt brokerage. So if you're looking to build or buy land, any kind of construction or anything like that, give me a call. And I'm lucky enough to be the other half of this podcast. I'm also an investor. And today we're talking about, you guessed it, real estate investments, but not so much the traditional type of real estate investments. Dan, we're talking about S. STRs. I uh, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get into STR investment. But to be fair, it was tough to to buy a sensible investment in this space for the past several years because they were just you know a lot of this more rural suburban COVID staycation product was commanding a huge premium, and that's why it was such a good popular market, I suppose. Right, everybody's trying to get these these cottages and chalets and whatever. But now, yeah. cottage country has corrected substantially. You know, some of the biggest drops we've seen in prices: Blue Mountain, Kawartha's, Bancroft. You know, a lot Kelowna. of the cottage countries, Kelowna. Yeah, a lot of the interior stuff. So. And that a lot of that's because that pandemic era is kind of over and people can travel again. But before we get into the SDR stuff, there's a couple of housekeeping items we wanted to chat about. I think firstly, merch meetups and the course. So merch, Christmas sweaters are available. I'm actually wearing one right now if you're watching the video. It says Feliz Navidad on it. Yeah, it's, it's red. We have the meetups November the 14th is, should be the day that this episode is airing, actually. So uh, in 12 cities across Canada, if your city has a Canadian brew house in it and it has a meetup, that's probably where it is because they have come on as one of our event partners, which we're very grateful for. And the course is, we're really excited about the course. We've, we brought on this amazing group of early adopters, let's call them. We have a, a huge waiting list, but we, ha we also have this group of early adopters who we tasked with really helping us to develop the course into what it is. And we're going to actually do a full episode on basically what the result of that was or the system that we came up with to purchase homes as a, you know, start to finish, sorry, to purchase re real estate investments, not just homes. But the results were amazing and they really, really helped us shape this into something that'll create a ton of value for the audience. And we're excited to bring in the the next group of students into the 2.0 of the course. Yeah, for sure, Dan. Well said. Super excited about all of that good stuff. That All that is uh, linked in the show notes, so check that out. But let's get back to today's topic, STRs. And if you haven't figured that out by what Dan was saying with the vacation stuff and cottages and chalets, STRs stand for short-term rentals. So today we're going to be talking about kind of what they are, why they're so great, maybe some personal experiences for both you and I, Dan. And then there seems to be a bit of a backlash across the country and almost across the world right now, specifically with one company who is actually a wonderful company and, and a good show sponsor, Airbnb. So we're going to look at what's happening, why, and kind of what's next on that horizon. Yeah. So quickly to define what a a short-term rental is less than twenty a 28-day stay. 
after 28 days, it becomes sort of like medium term rental, which is where usually most municipal regulations or most of the regulations that we're seeing that are banning short term rentals. Toronto is kind of where this started, actually, I think, is because they they banned short term rental or made it so you had to get licensed to do a short term rental. So there was a limit on the number of days of the year that you could use as a as a shorter medium. And then basically the the what they defined as short or what a lot of municipal governments is defining as short is less than 28 days. And this is actually a lot of this has to do with like in the US, there's a lot of like traveling nurses as an example, very, very common. And they would have nowhere to stay if they were going to do a three, six months contract if, you know, if it was banned, let's say sub six months. So less than 28 days is your, is your kind of, you know, seems to be the agreed upon category of what would be a short term rental. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, in a lot of those places, whether it's rural America or rural Canada, these types of, of, of short-term accommodations provided a, a, a much needed service because, Dan, even both of the places that you and I are from and our families are from, there's no hotels in, in those cities or, or smaller cities or, or towns, you know? So, and, and we'll get to where this originated from. I mean, we're probably all familiar with it, right? Airbnb is, is kind of the main one. And, and Dan, you said this earlier, right? They've kind of become, you know, the Kleenex of tissue papers, right? Like no one says, Hey, yeah. pass me a tissue. It's pass me a Kleenex or can you pick up a box of Kleenex? And I'm buying no name and it's still considered Kleenex. You know, it's like, yeah, we'll just Airbnb it or I'm going to stay at an Airbnb. It's not like I'm going to stay at a short term rental. You, you just kind of say Airbnb and, I've personally Airbnb properties of my own. I've stayed in some absolutely phenomenal Airbnbs across the world from, from Costa Rica to Spain to Bali that I know for certain a hotel like accommodation would never have existed in, in some of these places that I've stayed in and like the unique aspects. I mean, I literally stayed in essentially a, a, a tree house, like a beautiful glass tree house in Costa Rica. Service was incredible. I would have never gotten that experience with, without companies like Airbnb. And then of course, you know, the other ones, VRBO or Verbo or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see all this backlash, but well, let's get into it and, and we can keep the discussion going here. Yeah. So let's chat a little bit about sort of why this is happening and then also why short-term rental or Airbnb stuff is considered to be so good for investors. So I, I think the big pushback is, you know, we have a clear housing crisis existing in Canada. In a lot of cases, these units are competing with, with housing supply. And so, and, and frankly, investors are typically incentivized to do an Airbnb rather than a housing, you know, a unit of housing supply, let's call it, because of a variety of reasons. So the first one would be, and we talked about this in the inflation episode, whether or not real estate is a good inflation hedge. We talked about basically how a lot of people like Airbnb short or medium term, because it allows you to reprice your unit or capture that new purchasing power very instantly, basically, right? Every time you turn over a unit, you're capturing the the new price. So if the price goes up between today and tomorrow, then you get to rent it out at the new price. Whereas which, with rent control, which the majority of Canadian provinces have, that pricing power is taken away from you, especially if you are only allowed to increase your rents at the rate of inflation or below the rate of inflation. Now, as inflation goes up, you can't actually increase the the your pricing, your price of your unit at the rate of inflation. And so your purchasing or pricing power as a, as a landlord gets diminished over time. So that's number one. Number two is, and similarly, turnovers allow you the ability to 
not have to worry about tenants who are familiar with the system, who are, you know, refuse to pay rent, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think a lot of landlords who have sort of lost faith in the regulatory framework of a lot of, you know, regardless of the province that it is, but in, in a lot of markets all over the, the world, really, choose to avoid the headaches and go through this Airbnb route. And yeah, I think it is fascinating. You know, we're kind of reluctant to to use the word Airbnb on the show as a because they are a show sponsor and and to sorry and to use it in the title as well. But the reality is, you say Airbnb and people know what you're talking about. You say short term rental and some people know what you're talking about. Like that's how much of a market leader they are. They really are the Kleenex or the Frisbee in this scenario, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so. You know, let's look at why it's so great for investors and, and, and users alike. I mean, it, it kind of is a combination, you know, and you've heard it with the ads on the show. It's a great way to make extra income, whether you've got that spare bedroom or that, you know, spare unit or a multifamily and you want to offset, you know, maybe you've got that combination of, hey, I've got some long-term rentals and then I've got this one short-term rental or, you know, an Airbnb, obviously, in the, in, in one of the units. So I think it's a good hedge against, against what we were just talking about, Dan, right? I mean, there is, and we'll get into this, there is, it is much more of a business than, than running, you know, from the passive level scale on real estate, which, you know, none of it is passive. I can promise you that. I mean, economies of scale, you can get to passivity. Uh, is that, a, is that a word? Passivity? passivity? I'll look it up for you. It is. Now. You're supposed to know you're the dictionary. So. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I got, you know, we've talked about this before, right? You're, with an Airbnb or a Verbo or whatever, you're, you're essentially running a little hotel business. Then you get to the student rentals, which has more turnover. That's six months or a year or two years. But then, you know, Dan, you and I have some tenants that, you know, they're not leaving until they're, you know, I don't want to say it, but probably dying. They're going to die in the units, right? So it's, it's going to be years and years. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a need for both in the market. And this is where, you know, Starting to see, so let's just get. Do you want to do a quick history? We can talk a little bit about where this concept came. It started in 2007, I guess, right? And it, and it actually, the name Airbnb comes from the air mattress thing. I think it was the air mattress, and did it give you like a box of cereal or something? There was cereal involved in some reason. Yeah, so so they funded. Okay, so after moving to San Francisco in October of 2007, in 2007, roommates and former schoolmates Brian Chesky and Joe Gebbia came up with an idea of putting an air mattress in their living room and turn it into a bed and breakfast. And in 2008, air bed and breakfast was born. Then it kind of formed into, you know, Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess now all of a sudden, what is this? I guess over a decade later, you know, there, I, I think most of the, the Western world, there, there's a lot of population growth and a lot of housing supply being constricted. I mean, we, it, we we think it's bad here in Canada, but you hear some of the stories of the states, and we're going to talk about some of the examples in other municipal areas in the states doing similar regulations. But you know, basically, we've we've started to see a lot of backlash and change in legislation. So why don't you walk me through kind of what we're hearing at a federal level now in Canada? Yeah, well, our deputy prime minister and finance minister Christia Freeland says the federal government is actively exploring options to help provinces return short-term rentals to long-term rental market and increase the housing stock across the country. So according to the BC government, there are currently about 28,000 short-term rentals across the the province, a significant percentage of which are run by for-profit operators as opposed to residents renting out their own homes or vacation properties. 
across the country, Freeland said, is estimated that returning short-term rentals to the long-term market in places like Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver alone could free up about 30,000 units. Now, Dan, is that going to make a big dent in the multi-millions of new units that we need almost immediately? And that's according to CMHC. Yeah, I th- I would say, I mean, it's obviously a drop in the bucket when you really think of the context of the number of units that we need to solve the housing crisis in Canada. But it, it is, I think it's an easy way to score some political points. It's an easy way for these politicians to demonize something that I think anyone who, you know, if they're really trying to win the vote, like I think they've kind of given up on getting the real estate investor go- vote, let's say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and so I think, you know, they're not, they've made it clear that they're not opposed to starting to strip away some of the rights and freedoms that property owners enjoy. You know, we already saw the vacant home thing. You know, I would say that if you were to kind of go down the list of like what's the most destructive to the housing crisis, a lot of people would say vacant homes probably lead. And then, you know, short term rentals probably the ones that are taking homes out of the long term housing supply would be, you know, on the top of that list as well. I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't necessarily agree either. And and we can we can kind of explore this thoroughly. But I think that the the government's goal from a policy perspective seems to be that they want and I think Airbnb's goal is similar to this, you know, in the way that we've been seeing the ads that they're putting on the show. It seems to be really geared towards, oh, like, you know, I got an extra room in my house or, you know, I have a and they really want to go more and more towards that primary residence thing. Like, oh, if you're going away for two months, rent your house out. And- well, that's how it initially started. Right. It, that's, right. That's what it came down to. And, and you know, they they talk about purpose built rentals. Friedland talks about purpose built rentals and the, you know, the incentives for that. And she's like, well, you know, this is essentially this is a Band-Aid solution until that other stuff starts to take shape because obviously it takes years and years to build these units and developers are disincentivized at this point due to high interest rates. So, I mean, yeah, this is a drop in the bucket. The other thing that I'd, I'd say is, yeah, I mean, some Airbnbs, sure, if you're, if you know, if you're, if you're a person that's gone and bought 10 units in a condo building, you know, that is a bit of a different story than if you're a person that has, you know, two or three beautiful vacation style properties that people likely aren't going to be living in. Right. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all solution here. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think it, I think that there's, um, there's important distinctions that need to be made along the way. Like, you, you know, but we do have such an oversubscribed housing market that you could, you know, it's tough to argue Oh, you know, this house in Banff as an example, just because it's in Banff, it doesn't, uh, can't, can't be a, a short-term rental because, or, or sorry, could be a short-term rental because it's a more touristy area. It's like, well, you know, it's still a house that probably somebody would, could live, would or could live in if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't an Airbnb. So I think again, we're, I think we're kind of going through this change and, and we're, we've seen revenues decline substantially for Airbnb investors everywhere anyways. You know, we hear a lot about a lot of people are talking about this like Airbnb apocalypse even before this kind of thing started. The, this regulatory apocalypse started. Be, you know, as a result of COVID or you know, the the reopening of the workforce, people no longer people getting on planes, the traveling to to other places, and not you know, and not not staying, not not seeing as much domestic travel. Not a lot, of, and then you know, compounding that, we're on the forefront of a recession you know, big constriction in, in household expenditure. People aren't just aren't going to be spending as much on on travel, right? And so 
Yeah, so let's let's look at some of these articles that pulled a couple articles kind of from across the country because there's news coming out of places like Hamilton and, and Vancouver. So we're going to try to touch on, you know, I guess a few different areas across the country, kind of all the main spots coast to coast and and really touch on, you know, what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. So this first headline says Hamilton short term rental bylaw banning commercial operators starts next month. Yes, here's an excerpt from that article. Residents who rent out a spare bedroom or their entire home for up to two months of the year, both of which are allowed under their new bylaw, can sign up for the required license beginning December 1st. So a few weeks from this episode's recording date, they will be required to pay an application fee and provide proof if it is their principal residence on government records. Application fees range between $200 and $1,000 depending on the type of short-term rental there are annual renewal fees for that for that license as well. And get this, you'll be visited by a bylaw officer who will come by and inspect the property to ensure the unit or room meets the fire code and property standards. That's all according to data from the city of Hamilton. And there's about 1,250 active short-term listings in Hamilton as of last November. So basically a year from today. And about 80% of those were entire homes or apartments. And this bylaw, they say, is is meant to create more long-term rentals. Yeah, totally makes sense. You know, I think the, from the fire perspective, like, you, you know, you hear about that example in Old Montreal, I think in August of this year where there was, you know, a huge fire in like this beautiful old building and quite a few people died and, and that was an Airbnb. And so, you know, I think that, innovation leads to regulation, right? Like this is, the government is going to, to start regulating certain things. And I don't necessarily think there's any issue with them being involved per se, if it's going to help prevent things like that, help create more housing supply, help balance the market a little bit. Just like the landlord, you know, the long-term landlord and tenant system, there are bad operators, you know, not everyone is a good operator. And if we can start controlling for that, that's great. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a free for all business. And I think this is one of the reasons that you see it less so in you know, less of these bands in the States. It's like such a built out market. There's like, you can get a property, like a specialized property manager in like every single niche yeah. in the US. And, you know, Airbnb being one of them, there's a lot of, there's specialized property managers in every major market in the US. Like full white glove service. Like you go yeah. in and you're, you're, you're buying this property knowing that this is a full Airbnb. You, I mean, you can literally do all this almost online now. I've seen businesses where it's just like, hey, yep. You know, I'm going to buy this Airbnb in, in Florida, whatever it, it's, you can buy them furnished or, or you can have the, the people go and furnish it for you. And, uh, and they, they operate it for you. And then when you want to go use it, you, you do, you just book that time. And again, that's what the, that's the ideal operation of, of an Airbnb. And that's what people wanted to do up here. But, you know, Dan, just, just as you said, I, there are bad apples and bad operators and bad guests on, on both sides of the equation, right? I mean, from personal experience, I remember having some bad guests, right? And I, I've heard, you know, my story is, it pales in comparison to some of the other things I've heard from other landlords that, that have had, you know, tens or tens and tens of thousands of dollars of damage done to their properties. And, you know, then of course you got to go back and deal with Airbnb or Verbo or whoever is, you know, your hosting yeah. partner. And, and it's, and it's brutal. But then again, there's bad, just, just like there's a lot of bad long-term landlords that are, you know, the slum lords and the people that don't take care of the units. There's a lot of people that, you know, don't have the units properly cleaned and, and you've got guests showing up and they're kind of horrified at what they're walking into. And then of course, 
they leave and then I'm, I'm sure you've been hearing all this stuff about the, the increased cleaning fees that, you know, you're, you're paying four or $500 in cleaning fees or you're expected to, you know, have the unit polished by the time you leave. Yeah. It's funny the the CEO of Airbnb like traveled around the world in Airbnbs for a year trying to figure out why people, and, and it was like totally rogue, right? Like undercover billionaire. Yeah. I I mean, There's a really cool <laughs> article. Yeah. And he was just really trying to figure out like, cause you see the memes now, right? It's like, you know, like, Oh, take out the trash and like feed my dog or like, you know, it's like a joke, but like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, I think a lot of like, I think Airbnb is trying to, to, to really like level up and be competitive in the hospitality space and getting rid of some, like, some of these like abused freedoms that a lot of the the operators have taken is is probably it seems to be you know really going in the right direction but i think we're just we're in that you know obviously they're a mature uh, operating business they're not going anywhere so now it's at the point where the changes start to be made to reach some greater levels of efficiency for airbnb and to reach some different levels of legislation for um, municipal governments who want to change whether or not airbnb plays a part in in the, the housing crisis or the or just the housing any any type of real estate supply in their municipality you know it begs me to to ask the question do we think that the kind of not the golden age but do we like do we think that that age of airbnb investing is over and i, I would say probably right yeah i think a lot of it i think the the age that we were just in of any investing is over because interest rates aren't going down anymore for 40 years straight yes yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a few factors, right? I mean, one interest rates, yes, 100%. That That's probably the main factor. The other factor is, you know, COVID played a massive role in, in Airbnb, right? As you said the word staycation at the top of the show. That was not a common word. You know, it wasn't like people, you know, people wanted to get out of, of where, the, you know, a vacation was much more popular than a staycation. But when the world shut down and, you know, you're basically only allowed to drive somewhere or, or whether it was for personal use or to, or to rent. I mean, that's when those properties skyrocketed and, and everyone was buying cottages and, you know, that those secondary homes, those unique properties. And, and that's where I think, you know, Airbnb will really flourishes when i go to an airbnb it's 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 one of two things i'm either going there to for pure practical reasons like i'm here i need to stay somewhere a hotel is too expensive or there's no hotel close enough or there's no hotel up to a you know whatever standard you like or i'm going for the experience you know like i, I like you can't get the same experience at at a hotel that you do at some of these beautiful airbnbs but, you know, the world's opened back up and people are going on vacation. You know, you, you see it on Instagram, like, you know, go to like people go to Rome and the fountain, the Trastevere and the fountain of, of uh, like all, all the piazzas are just like jam packed. So, you know, people aren't going to Muskoka or or wine country or whatever it may be in Canada as much as they used to. So I think for those reasons, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Let's get to this other article here, Dan. This one's from Bloomberg, and I think this is gonna this is gonna spark some good discussion here. This because this is an, an Ontario specific one. More landlords are converting units into short term rentals. Some Ontario landlords are looking to change their long term rental units into short term leases, where they stand to make a profit and face fewer challenges with the province backlog tribunal, according to landlords. With groups representing rental operators, this trend comes as Canada grapples with a shortage of housing that's driving rents and mortgage costs higher. Amid these sky-high rental costs and lengthy delays at the Ontario Landlord-Tenant Board, landlords feel like they could get stuck 
paying their own mortgage without the help of reliable rental income from tenants. So this one's from Bloomberg. Now imagine this, you're you're a landlord. Most of you probably are or are aspiring to be. And you've got a tenant that is not paying rent and you've got a variable mortgage or you don't have a variable, you got a fixed mortgage, whatever it may be, but inflation and the economy is starting to hit everybody. Now, let's just say it takes you eight months, which is not bad compared to Dan. I think you waited almost double that, right? 16 yeah, months to 16 month eviction, 16 before, month yeah. eviction, right? So I'm just going to cut that in half. Let's say you don't get paid for eight months and you're making 2K off of your off of your unit that's $16,000 gone with your case it would have been 32,000 uh, so you know obviously broken system here in Ontario with the landlord and tenant board and and is that kind of forcing people's hand to to switch over I think that it's certainly part of it and it's classic Canadian policy to treat the symptoms rather than the causes because they in a lot of cases are the causes, right? So <laughs> this is where it becomes very interesting from my perspective. You have, you know, the board who, and it would probably, from a from a cost perspective, Air, uh, BC being a great example, and their, their board isn't nearly as bad as ours, but it's still not perfect. So rather than, you know, talking to the the bad guys, the, the Airbnb hosts, as an example, and saying... Oh. Oh, yeah. And saying, oh, why do you like, you know, why would you do this rather than than a long term rental and getting an answer from them and hearing, oh, you know, like, well, because I'm I don't I'd rather not run the risk of a tenant deciding not to pay me and that costing me tens of thousands of dollars. And the cost of implementation of of this type of policy, like like implementing it, drafting a policy enforcement of a policy like this, so expensive, right? Like the amount of people that are going to need to be hired to enforce this, right? It's like, could the net impact, and I don't know the answer to the question, but this is my line of thinking, is could the net impact of, or could all of that resource, could all of those new jobs been created as, you know, media, mediators for landlord and tenant disputes rather no, than, come you on, know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> all of those dollars been spent on hiring people to to solve the, probably one of the one of the leading reasons if not the the primary leading reason that people are choosing to do airbnbs rather than than long-term rentals and i think if you were to ask that you know if you were really really think about asking that question it, it would probably yield a very different result you know and you look at like some of the less restrictive areas like where where do we have less of a housing crisis right in areas that are not eliminating Airbnbs or don't have severe rental control, rent control, right? Like the prairies, as an example, are the, some of the most affordable areas, and and they don't have, they, they don't have to to clamp down on Airbnbs. And they also don't have rent control, right? Yeah. So so and they also you know they don't have huge eviction backlogs. So it's just a fascinating thought experiment from my perspective. Not to say that, but if you just look at examine the data points and and work backwards, it's like well, there's a lot of questions that need asking and answering here. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Like, why hasn't there been a conversation about reallocating those funds to even something like, hey, let's get more analysts at CMHC. They can look at, you know, the backlog of MLI Select. Let's, and like, let's get more people in the tribunal to figure this stuff out. That is going to actually solve these problems instead of, you know, hiring a bunch of bylaw officers to go around and, and, you know, shake their fingers at people. So, yeah, yeah. 
I'll jump to the CIB, uh, CBC head, headline. Sorry, um, these short-term rental owners followed all the regulations. Now the province is changing the rules. So the province does define short-term rentals as accommodations rented out for a period of less than ninety consecutive days. In this, and this is in BC. So Len Archer, who bought a condo in a resort property called Playa del Sol in Kelowna, BC, very, very BC name there, Playa del Sol, <laughs> in 2017, says he has rented it out short term for two months out of the year as an Airbnb to help his retirement fund. He rents it out long term for the rest of the year. The Playa, Playa del Sol is zoned for short term rentals, said Archer, who adds that he primarily rents it out his condo on long-term contracts to students and remote workers for the remaining 10 months of the year. Now the province's new rules over short-term rentals, which apply in cities with more than 10,000 people, Archer says he's likely to see a hit to his income of up to 15 grand a year. He says he'll be able, uh, he'll have to offer the condo as a long-term rental year-round and consider if it is a viable investment going forward. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to see this kind of stuff, right? Because a lot of a lot of these people have built businesses around around Airbnb. And, you know, Dan, you and I are both entrepreneurs, business people. You know, I remember what I mean, what if something someone came in and it's just like, okay, no more podcasting. You know? Like it's it's tough to see when you've built something and and you know, this goes back to twenty seventeen. That you know, that's 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 several years that this guy's built up an actual business here. You know, he's furnished the apartment. He's got the systems in place. He's got the property management. It's a well-oiled machine at that point. And again, if you're following all the rules to have some, to have like, you know, the, the, the government come in and just essentially say, okay, nope, you know, never mind. You're not allowed to do this anymore. And now you've got to switch over to long-term investment. Well, or sorry, uh, long-term rental. Well, a long-term rental and a short-term rental. Yeah. I mean, they both sound pretty similar to, you know, the average person, but they're extremely different businesses. So, you know, I, I hate to see that because again, and, and we'll get to the next article here, but this is affecting people's retirements and stuff, right? This is, this is a business that, you know, I've got personal family friends that have a few Airbnbs in Prince Edward County, which is a heavily, heavily regulated Airbnb market. It's for those outside of Ontario. It's kind of like our little wine country, beautiful little spot, tons of Airbnbs there. And if you're, if you are caught breaking those Airbnb rules, you get more than a slap on the wrist. You, you're fined very, very heavily, but there's people that have built good, solid businesses around this. So for them to be kind of, you know, destroyed essentially, it, uh, I don't like to see that part of it. Yeah. I am probably less sympathetic. And, and this is because I, I find that, um, if you're a real estate investor, you should know the types of risk associated with investing in real estate. And with that type, with, with all, types of real estate, but especially with a type of real estate that is running an innovative concept that is clearly within the pipeline of things that are going to be uh, legislated, you have to acknowledge that legislative risk and b- build it in, right? Like, I I would say it, it does suck. And I hate to hear some of these stories. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, you could kind of see a lot of this coming a mile away when it happened in Toronto in what, 2020, 20, it was 2020, right? Like it was gonna start happening across the country. It wasn't like the, you know, the, the housing, the housing scarcity was only going to continue getting worse. The regulatory environment was only going to continue getting worse. So, and then, you know, I think when you saw the political tides turn in BC to, you know, the party that is most likely to regulate this the way that we just saw it happen. I think that that it it was a reasonably predictable outcome. And so this is where it's important as a real estate investor to understand the different types of risk 
in real estate investing and legislative risk is among them. It, that's one of them, right? You have interest rate risk, you have market risk. A lot of these things are being realized right now. Yeah. And so, so just, you know, as a lesson for those people moving forward and, you know, the people who, whose businesses are no longer viable because of the, the legislation, the, the sell the asset. That might be the best thing. Oh, you're going to take a loss. Well, I mean, it's hard to get people to line up to feel sorry for you right now when, you know, you probably made a ton of money at a, you probably made a great return on the asset for the last little bit. You, you know, you are obviously wealthy enough to own that type of asset, which is great. Like, so I don't, I don't know if, you know, this is the, if I just am examining the social dialogues that I'm seeing around this stuff, like it, nobody really seems to be super empathetic towards people who, who ran Airbnbs and are, and are losing money um, because of uh, a change in legislature. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think you got to have, you, you're right. You got to have, you got to know those multiple exit strategies within, with any property. Yeah. Well, I mean, like one of the subheadings of that one that we just looked at, or the, I think the one we're about to look at is, I just hope my investment doesn't come crashing down on me. It's like, okay, well sell it then. That's like, you know, I mean, that's the answer if you're in a bad position. Um, but before we jump in and read this last one, cause I don't, I think this is from before anyways, but the, in this new paradigm, because we've discussed how it's a new paradigm, interest rates are different. The market had been saturated. It was gradually getting saturated and more competitive. Now you're seeing a, re- a big legislative hurdle. If we're in a world where you're allowed to Airbnb your primary residence on a, on a short-term or smaller basis, this is where it just changes the, the, the playbook for Airbnbs in those areas, but also potentially the, the playbook for Airbnbs, especially when now we're hearing about it on a federal level, where... As a, as a potential owner, if you're somebody who travels a lot, it might be a compelling side hustle or investment strategy, right? Because you have your place, you're, you live there, but you have, have a, a place that you can rent out quite a bit when you're gone. If you have a cottage, as an example, something that's not competing directly with housing stock and you use it semi-regularly and you want to get a lifestyle return, you want to have the ability to, to buy a cottage. I mean, this is where, so it's just realizing that the game is different now and playing by the new rules, literal new rules, right? So yeah. they've they've changed the game. And if we want to continue making successful investments in this, and by the way, this is the first kind of specific Airbnb episode that we've done, but it will not be the last. We're going to t- start talking a lot more about this because I do think that there are actually opportunities evolving in this market right now where I I didn't for a long time because I felt anything staycation-esque was overpriced and saturated for most of the pandemic era. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because going back to the what Airbnb started as is it really started as almost house hacking, right? House hacking is is a very basic form of real estate investing where you buy, you know, usually a single family home or possibly a duplex. You live in it. And you've got your either, you know, your roommates, whether it's a two bedroom condo and, you know, your your buddies living in the other one paying and helping pay your mortgage. That's essentially what Airbnb was doing. They just built a business around that and then it ballooned into these other things. And and again, and, you know, I, I agree, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just a nice guy. I've got empathy for people that, you know, their businesses and, you know, I've, I've even got empathy for the people that, you know, bought a bunch of pre-cons and <laughs> are getting burned on those right now. But this is, I think there's going to be a lot of realization across the board as to what actually is a good investment and what will stand the, the test of time here. And, and that test of time was essentially, you know, the next 12, 24, 36 months. Let's get to this last article here. Again, I hope my investment doesn't come crashing down on me. BC Airbnb owner responds to proposed crackdown. Short-term rentals in BC can only be offered if the host's principal residence, which includes laneway houses or basement suites on someone's property. Again, so that's going back to that house hacking. 
It will effectively wipe out the business model for real estate investors and property management companies with dozens of short-term rental listings. Under the new rules, they'll have to convert those units into long-term units or face hefty fines. Now, before we go on here, this also is a good time to, because we haven't introduced it yet, the Airbnb arbitrage thing, which was like a whole nother level of, of Airbnb, right. right? It was like, okay, I don't even own, that'd be like, okay, Dan, you rent out a unit, you're you're renting out a unit long-term. Then I come in and say, hey, Dan, I'm going to rent out your unit, but I'm actually going to now furnish it and turn it into an Airbnb. So it was like, you know, a few levels removed from a few degrees of separation from from owner to even who's actually managing the property and who's even staying there. So, and you know, there'd be, this is where I think, uh, you know, I never really liked this play truthfully. There's stories of people going and renting 10 or 15 units and, and that's really kind of taking them off the housing supply stock and, and renting them out and, you know, going and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on furniture just to furnish all these things. But anyway, Stan, but let's, let's get back to this article. Yeah, so she it basically says that the legislation would end legal non-conforming use principle, which exempts short-term rentals from local bylaws because the rentals were allowed in a building before the bylaw took effect. So maybe we get a quick dictionary, please, on what legal non-conforming means because it's applicable and it's probably more applicable in other types of investing. For sure. And if you're a real estate investor, you've probably heard this, whether it's like a basement suite in a unit or something like that. But a legal non-conforming use occurs when the use of one's land, building or structure is not permitted by the current zoning bylaw, but was permitted by a previous zoning bylaw. So again, you hear that term, you know, grandfathered in or, or you know, grandmothered in or, or whatever. Yeah. So... This, I guess, was more specific to Victoria, where the mayor said there were about 1,600 units in the city that can't, they couldn't regulate because they existed before the bylaw restricting short-term rentals. And, you know, basically, and this kind of, you know, shows how the politicians feel about it. They call them unregulated hotels. And you hear from the long-term residents of those buildings about the frustration of the lack of enforcement and regulation. And, and to be honest, like, I think that the primary residence piece is like actually a really interesting introduction to the equation, right? Where you make somebody hosted at their own house, right? So they're less likely to have a part. Like, you know, that's, it's, it's going to be allowable within people's homes. So yeah, less likely not, to have a party. rager. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that it also kind of goes almost back to that core principle of a B&B, right? Bed and breakfast where it's like, you know, there, there's, you're staying on my property. It's, you know, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of a hospitality element to it. And I've stayed in Airbnbs that are run exceptionally well by people who, you know, were there as kind of hosts, right? I think that this, like the complete hands-off ization of it, where people are just like lockbox, you know, show up, whatever, here's a book, like, and just hope that the cleaner cleaned it properly. Like that did kind of convolute the model. And I think that's a big part of how and what Airbnb has been, was trying to control for when their CEO, Brian, I think it was Brian Chesky, who you mentioned, um, was traveling around the world trying to figure out what was wrong with their, their model, right? Like, yeah. And, and so it could actually be a blessing and a curse, right? Or maybe a blessing in disguise, maybe a feat more a feature than a bug, right? Yeah. So, so researching this episode, you know, I, I was going back and I kind of got, got down a bit of a rabbit hole as to early days of Airbnb. And, that was the part of it, right? It was like, come stay with a local in their house and they'll show you the best restaurants. They can like, it was supposed to be a bit more of the community, but it just got so, you know, business, business-fied that, you know, it, it almost got ruined in, in a certain sense for, for certain for people. Sure. So Dan, let's keep going here. So Ontario and Vancouver, obviously getting very strict on this stuff, but what about the rest of the country? 
Yeah, so we've seen Quebec. Uh, they had new rules coming into force on September 1st, Bill 25 there, which made it, and it was, you know, they were trying to get rid of illegal tourist accommodations with fines of up to, uh, I think, 100000 per illegal listing. Wow. And it sounds like, it sounds like the, the, those fines were aimed towards the platform. So they're almost making, like making the Airbnbs mm. regulate this for the users. So it's, I don't think it's a hard thing for a tech company to, to do, right? Where, you know, if you want to list in Quebec, they see the, the geotag on it and they say, what's your license number, right? Yeah. So, so Airbnb, as well as all of the other listing services, which there are a number of them, Verbo being a main competitor and uh, several others, they, they'll actually be prohibited from displaying any listings that don't contain those registration numbers and certificate expiration dates. They're, they're really, again, kind of, putting that regulation back on, I mean, Airbnb is getting regulated. So now they're putting it back on the, the hosts. Registrations are issued specifically. This is for Quebec. Registrations are issued by Quebec's Tourism Industry Corporation. And that's the same across the country. You've got to go and, and, and get uh, a business license to, to operate this now. Yeah, exactly. And so their tourism minister was warning again, this is a, this is where it's a little bit more interesting. And this is very Quebec, actually, the way that they, they, they're really, war- they issue this warning to the, to the companies like Airbnb. They say platforms that have 8,000, 10,000 or 12,000 listings on online, rest assured that revenue Quebec on September 1st will be keeping an eye on you, but they're <laughs> not threatening the owners who are really the ones, you know, like that they're actually <laughs> regulating away from. So it kind of fascinating from my perspective, right? Like, and yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, it, it, to me, it's just like, look, this is where we're just seeing layer after layer of policy aimed at sort of stripping away the rights of what, you know, and and I, I get why this is taking place. I don't actually think it's a bad thing, but it is, we are seeing less value to the title of property in Canada because you can't, you don't have the freedom, right? The same as what we mentioned, the UHT, the, the UHT uh, episode where we talked about this, uh, you know, underused housing tax. People now have to basically join a beneficial ownership registry, you know, gone are the days where Canadian real estate was this kind of like do whatever you want, you know, own own it very super privately in a corporation, et cetera, et cetera. And so yeah. I, I would say that if there's one thing to take away from all of these different changes happening, it's not that the government's out here trying to ruin it for everybody. It's just that we're entering into this new paradigm and that it requires a very, very new way of thinking to be a successful real estate investor. You've got so many different variables changing in the real estate space right now. You've got this, you've got under things like underused housing tax, you've got federal go- governments of all levels, federal, provincial, and municipal, really, really making a meaningful effort to try and fix housing. Obviously way too late, but now now because it's way too late, they're like totally overswinging on it, right? Yeah. Just, yeah, they're just going for a grand slam and they're just throwing anything at it. So, and interest rates are, are going up again policies coming after us. It's just, it's a new, it's a totally new world, totally new world, which is why that'd be a good setup. If I was a guru right now, that would be a good setup to say, that's why I have the solution for your problems by my ex, right? Aren't you a guru and don't we have a course? <laughs> yeah, I guess, but I still have to make fun of gurus because we're not, we're not trying to be like that. Kind no, of hell no. We are the opposite of that because those, all those gurus had the, the decades of low interest rate. Anyways, we're also going to do an entire episode on what the course covers so people can decide whether or not it's actually a good idea for them to 
to to go after it because the people who are in it are very happy and the people who are sign, who are excited to sign up for it are very excited yeah um, but we you know we don't want people in there who don't feel like they're going to get value for it or or you know don't need it right so yeah for sure so but before we finish off here and get to the kind of rest of the world which i do want to quickly touch on let's let's not forget the rest of canada the airbnbs are still allowed you you just need to go and apply for a license and and follow certain regulations in alberta in saskatchewan in winnipeg and all on the east coast you know there there's they're really only heavily cracking down on this stuff in, in seemingly toronto montreal and vancouver but it's also happening in other major cities around the world and it seems to be kind of again that desperate reaction to any major city where there is a housing crisis so i pulled this from investopedia under new york city law hosts whether they are owners or tenants. So that means if you're that tenant and you're Airbnb arbitraging, hosts or tenants cannot rent out an entire apartment or home to visitors for fewer than 30 days, even if the host owns or lives in that building. This applies to all permanent residential buildings, regardless of the number of units. Short-term rentals are permitted if the host is staying in the same unit or the apartment as the guests, and there are no more than two guests staying with the hosts. Yeah, and and there are apparently a bunch of people breaking the law, and this is the other piece, right? So the and this is where the enforcement piece comes in. So as of March 2023, some over 10,000 Airbnb listings were available for illegal short-term rentals, and maybe you know it's lucrative enough that it's just worth it, right? So. And this is where like you almost need percentage fines, right? It's like, ah, okay, well, if I'm renting this like, you know, glorious like penthouse that would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars and paying a $10,000 fine, but I'm making, you know, 20 grand a night, who cares? Right? Yeah, so, it, it reminds me of that, that uh, and you might know this, it was like Switzerland or Sweden or something like that, where they actually, f- like some guy got a speeding ticket and he was- Yeah, it's Switzerland, yeah, percentage so, of income. Percentage yeah. of income, so he's worth like a yeah. couple hundred million bucks, so his speeding ticket for going like, like 10 grand. over was like $100,000. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Like you can see it happen. So anyway, Airbnb talked about, they kind of pushed back. This is one of the first ones that they've actually mentioned because they haven't, they've been kind of quiet on a lot of it, which I get, right? Like, mm-hmm. but they said it was a de facto ban on short-term rentals and challenged it in court in June of 2023. But that lawsuit was dismissed and the city announced plans to proceed with enforcing the law. And that took place in September of 2023. So again, like people had ample time to offload units. Like you, if you were a practitioner in this area, you and you're an investor in this area and you saw the uh, legislature coming down the pipeline, you have t- had time to offload the asset. But, you know, this New York's been the huge news one where you're you're seeing it. Yeah. You know, everybody, it's being talked about everywhere. But again, it's not just New York, right? I mean, Santa Monica got rid of 80% of its Airbnb listings by implementing new rules. They required anyone offering rentals for 30 days or less to live on the property during the renter's stay. And again, of course, you know, not maybe not everyone wants to share their beach vacation. Dan, I know you wear a Speedo, so I don't know if you want to walk around in, in your Speedo uh, if, you know, if there's a, an old lady who uh, you're renting it off of. And then, and then European cities like Paris, Barcelona, Amsterdam have all created stricter regulations, including banning the purchase of housing specifically to use it as a short-term rental and then charging higher tourist tax for those short-term renters. So, 
you know, the big takeaways from this to me are you're, you're right. The rules have changed. The game has changed. It's time to adapt. You know, the writing has been on the wall. I, you know, I try to have empathy for anyone that's losing their business or, or losing a ton of money. But, you know, again, it's time to, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to, to adapt or die. And I think Airbnb will, because I think they're, they really do offer an amazing product if, if done correctly. Uh, just, just like almost anything else. If, you know, just like long term rentals, if, if done correctly, it's amazing service and amazing relationship if done poorly you know that's why landlords are demonized so anything to add to that dan no i think you summarize it all nicely make sure you check out the links in bio merch meetups course and leave us a review take a screenshot of yourself listening to this and share it on instagram tag us we'll we'll share it we'll repost it we love you we appreciate you and go buy a christmas sweater the canadian real estate investor podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.